0: Hello, 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 and welcome to Canadian Made, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the Canadian entertainment industry to get to know the unsung heroes who make incredible content in Canada. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited to be joined by screen composer Erica Percunier. So in this conversation, Erica takes us behind the scenes of what it's really like to be a composer. So if you've ever been curious about how the music behind some of your favorite films comes together, Erica is going to take you through the journey. If you yourself are an inspiring screen composer, Erica also gives some amazing tips that are honestly transferable no matter what part of the industry that you're in. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Erica, and I am so sure that you are going to find her as charming and delightful as I did. So let's get into it. Well, I also wanted to say congratulations, you just won a
1: CSA. I did! Yay! That's so exciting! It is. It's really exciting. It like it was kind of surreal. Like I didn't expect to win, and and I was just really happy to just be included. And then I saw my name, and I was like, "Are you kidding? (laughs) Like, I won!" So it's it's cool. It's really cool.
0: Amazing. Well, it's nice to have a time when it all pays off.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like it's especially behind the scenes where you know I'm just um, I'm I mean during COVID sometimes I I do work in the same room as like my assistant and um, and then in recording sessions and things but like most of the time it's just me and my computer and you're like just sending things off into the abyss to people who I've never seen even their faces so it's it's kind of crazy. And uh, so I I do try to make sure that, like, when things do come out and if there is an event, like, just take a breath and, and take a moment and, like, celebrate that achievement that, like, this thing got made and I was a part of it. And it's really cool. So I have to, like, remind myself, even if I'm super slammed with deadlines, that, like, no, you can you can just sacrifice your sleep instead of and go to this event instead. So.
0: Oh, that's, that's funny and very, very relatable. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to start kind of at the beginning of how you got into film composing and, and what your path looked like.
1: Well, I mean, I think that I always in the back of my mind, like, wanted to try to do this job. I don't know. I just got a crazy idea when I was a teenager. I was like writing starting to write my own music, and I was a piano player mainly, and I was, like, listening to all these film scores, and um, I was, like, oh, this would be such an amazing job, and, you know, back then, there wasn't any, like, resources, there wasn't anything to tell me how to do this job, and I was, was like, "I, I might as well just try, like, that's all you can really do, so I figured that, like, the first thing to do is learn how to write music really well, so, I got my undergrad in music theory and composition at Western University in London, Ontario, which, you know, I had a fantastic time there. It was amazing. I also did my master's there. And after that, I came to Toronto and I joined the Screen Composers Guild of Canada. And I was able to do that because when I was in school, like I went and I took all these film classes and I I went to my classmates and I'm like, hey. Are you making any movies? Do you need any music? And and there was a couple of people that took me up on the offer and so we worked on some short films together while I was still a student, which led me to be able to to join the guild when when I came to Toronto. The guild was super instrumental in getting me off my feet because uh, like not only did I meet other composers who could like mentor me and like tell me like teach me things that you can only learn by I like doing them and, and seeing people do them like there's you can't really go to school necessarily for this kind of job but like they did they had so many programs and so I I got this apprentice mentorship program through them and I did this orchestral reading session through them and I like worked on all my orchestration chops and things like that and getting like recording sessions under my belt and like there's such a huge learning curve to when I f- graduated, to when I first like started working as a freelancer in in this job, and so um, that's really the start of it. And then I just started like doing little things, like writing cues for one of my mentors who was working on a couple shows at the time. Um, and so I, that's when I got like my first official credits in like television and films and things. And then, yeah, and it just kind of went from there. And um, it just was just a a really gradual process, I guess.
0: I've I've heard you on a different podcast talk about the lack of structure of how people find their way into the industry. And that's something that really resonated with me because I... (laughs) I love structure. I love a plan,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, which I think is actually a characteristic that you need in so many ways to succeed in the film industry. And yet breaking into it can be so difficult because you have to be your own advocate. You have to network, you have to be this go-getter. And there's not just like this nice straight path to follow, as you described, like a med student would have. Yes.
1: I definitely drew that conclusion because I, I was like, I was roommates, like one of my best friends is a doctor. And like, I just remember being comparative when we were in school together and like she was going to med school and I was like, it's really hard to get into med school. Like it's difficult for a reason, right? But um, once you figure that out and you like get accepted and and, uh, write all those really difficult tests and study your ass off and work like crazy shifts at, at the hospital you're in a streamlined path to becoming a doctor and you're going to become a doctor whereas like when you go to music school and you're like i'm going to be a successful musician like it's not a guaranteed thing and so uh, i think that's like i mean it's not disappointing it just it's just a different difficulty it's a, like a different skill set it's like a um it's really hard to give advice about because what do you say to someone? Cause everyone's path is different. Like what's what I'm, what I did to be successful, isn't going to work for everyone else. And, and someone can do something completely opposite to me and also be very successful. So it's, yeah, it's a bit of a, a conundrum to like, be like, what, what, uh, how do you, how do you make it? How do you, get ahead how do you what do you, what are what's your advice like it's it's complicated so
0: i think what you said about working on student films in university is really important though it's about seizing every single opportunity that you have and cuz you never know where those things are going to lead and i'm sure that when you were working on those films you never thought that that was going to be the reason why you got into the guild which then led to a whole bunch of other amazing experiences so I think that that is actually really good advice.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I think, I think one of the biggest things that I tell, like, I, I teach a class at Humber College, and I'm like, you, like, if you want to do this, go out and find yourself a film to score and that's something that my uh, my mentors told me too because you know you might write beautiful music and you can put it on the internet and like maybe someone will find you if you're lucky but it's better if you just you know go and put yourself out there and and be active in your destiny and and go and and look for these opportunities because the universe isn't going to just reward you for, for no effort. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's the way that I look at it. You mentioned
0: how much more difficult being a film composer is than just you know, writing music. So, can you talk us through the process of actually getting involved on a film and what that looks like? Being in the development stage and then going through actually, you know, writing and and maybe all highlighting some of the technical components that, you know, we would never think that are as part of your job.
1: Well, yeah, I sure. Everything is um, it's kind of different depending on which type of project you're working on. Um, like when I, I've done a few films and I've done a few television shows and they're, they're kind of different in, in the way that they, they sort of work. Like, um, right now I'm, I'm working on Thomas and friends, which is the Thomas, the tank (laughs) engine. Um, and it's, it's a very well oiled machine. If I'm it's, I'm not trying to be to say puns or anything, but it's, <laughs> it's like like really like melvana has got it down. I would I pitched on the job um, with by get being given a brief, um, sort of like what the producers were going for, like what what their ideas were for what the music should be for this show, and uh, and then I wrote a pitch for for this show, and then I was successful and they chose me. And then I scored a lot of the episodes uh, right off the bat, but there's also an on-staff music editor. So it's a massive job that sort of like, it work, it works out because there's a, there's a few more people than just me on, on this show. But um, not all shows are like that. And not all movies are like that. Like on, in television, the deadlines are, are quite fast. Um, and there's not a lot of time to think about developing themes and, and score over a long period of time. But sometimes in, in film, there's, there's a little bit more time. You're not so like strapped to the deadline. So on a film, sometimes like what's really nice is if you get on board like way early even like in the script stage, they can send you the script and you can kind of like eyeball it and understand, really sort of dig into what the what the filmmaker's after and like, and have more conversations because for me, uh, a script doesn't tell me enough information so that I can accurately like uh, get a good enough idea about what the score is gonna be like. Because what I found is like, you can read a script and you really have no idea about like, what's gonna come out of the camera, how's the cinematographer gonna behave? What's the color correction gonna be like? What's the pacing of the actors and how are they gonna edit this? Like, it, there's so many factors that affect what I do that, that those details are all missing in the script, but uh, you can get a little bit of, of an idea of, of how to write some ideas.
0: Do directors send you um, like a little package or any inspiration that they have or is?
1: I've gotten, I've like sometimes there's like look books and things like that. And and actually, to be honest, those are even more helpful than reading the script, like (laughs) word for word. Like if you send me like a look book and and then you send the synopsis and, and sort of like more info about, the characters' motivations and, like, more info about, like, the whole overall tone of the film. I, I think that's actually better than if I was to just, like, read the script. But, you know, it's it's a whole big, big thing. Like, I, I have written a few sort of ideas, like, pre-filming, and then the directors use them and, like, given it to the actors, and then the actors can respond in their own creative way to, like, my initial ideas and like, we can all be on the same page. And and it's kind of a really cool way of, of like, making the filmmaking process almost like a circle rather than like a line, if that makes any sense. It's cool to, to have that, but but I also have situations where I, I've written ideas and then I see what comes out of the camera and I'm like, oh, I completely change my opinion on wh- how I should approach this. like. Uh, my first ideas were not appropriate at all. So um, it depends, you know, it's, it's a creative process. We got to just react and, and be flexible. So.
0: Yeah. So when you get involved uh, projects at the first stage, is that generally because of networking that you've done? Is it because you're applying for these positions?
1: It could vary. it could vary. I, the, the couple that I've done, early on is because I have a p- previous relationship with the director mm-hmm. and we've worked together on something before or something like that. And, and they know that I'm gonna be the one in the end, but there's, there's a, not a lot of that happening as much. Like I find a lot of times I get asked to join the project like when they're approaching the edit and then, so, you know, but what I do, what I would say is it's a really, really great thing to have a composer on board a lot earlier because you can sort of like have a lot more discussions, more time to ruminate, more, um, you know, more sort of like, maybe there's time to like, go go sound searching. Like if if there's enough time and the movie's about, you know, the ocean or a lake, you can go and record some source, sounds and things like that and and perhaps incorporate those into the score and like you know like the composer could come to the set and and if if there's like you know little sounds from the props and things like that. So there's a lot of cool things you can do if if you if you're conscientious and like bring the composer on as early as you possibly can. Um, so
0: yeah. yeah. That's always the best, isn't it? To have it like, that's the dream project is to have everybody in one place sitting at a table <laughs> way before ever anything happens, isn't it? Because then everyone yeah. get on the same page.
1: Yes, definitely. So, so
0: then when I, this might sound like such a silly question, but I do wonder how you constantly are able to be so creative in what you do and, and how you get inspired for every project and, you know, there's only so many notes that you can, and combinations that you can make. So how, you know, how do you keep it fresh every time for yourself?
1: You're so right. I don't know. I can't answer (laughs) that question (laughs) because I, what I've found is that I, I try, you know, I try to approach every different project from a different angle. You know, I never want to just like rehash anything that I've done before. Like that doesn't, that doesn't inspire me. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't sound, sound fun. I don't, I don't want to phone it in. I just, I just want to like be inspired by the, the, the story and do something new and, and exciting to me and, um, and stimulating. So, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to redo anything that I've, that I've already done. First thing I want to say is I've, I've sort of had to uh, instill in myself, this, this belief that creativity is not like a finite thing. It's like an unlimited thing that you can, that you can access, because I find if you start thinking that it's finite, it really gets in your head. And then you start getting writer's block and like, you know, you, you don't want to be in in that place psychologically. I'm just so
0: curious, you know, how it comes together. So, and how, how much effort it must take to score, you know, like an entire 90 minute movie, or even a 20 minute, like Thomas the Tank Engine episode. There must be so much that goes into that. So in mm-hmm. terms of like, is it the case that not a hundred percent of the film is like 100% original, that there's themes that kind of repeat over the course of the film in order to like help
1: yourself or, or how does that work? Yeah. Um, yep. So definitely, I, uh, you know what? It's it's not just because of like an economy sort of thing of working, but but a film typically typically does better once you have that sort of access to a recognizability, um, and it can add a lot of meaning, I think, to to a film or a or a show when when you have an associated thematic development going on like you wouldn't just like drag and drop like uh and copy and paste like what I find is the is the process is so slow at the start because you're literally starting fresh and it might take like a day two days three days to even just get through like one minute of music or that first five minutes of of score is just like almost like painstaking but like in a fun way (laughs) If that makes any sense, but but then um, it starts to roll and it starts to flow, and you know you've real you get to realize like okay, well, if I started the movie with with this theme, maybe the theme becomes a little bit different by the end of the film, and and that that adds meaning to the film. You know, you can see a character progression happening in the in the auditory soundscape as well as like in the writing and so you know there's there's a lot of opportunities but you're right like that type of work also means that there's like an economy thing going on where every every single note is not fresh and new but even if you're writing music without film or or it's just music for the sake of being music like I would think that that um, any composer would say the same thing. like you're not even just every every note just doesn't come out of thin air. like you're you're constantly writing with with recognizable patterns and, and coming back to material and it, it would be so different to not have a return to a theme or something like that. So so not every piece of music is like that, but there's a lot of a lot of thematic, motives and repetitions and things that really help out when when you do have a lot of music to write um, and you want it to all be uh, related to each other so
0: yeah no I think I think that makes a lot of sense because ultimately you want the film to be cohesive it's not like a pop album where every song can stand alone there has to be some communication between it so that makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense and I'm curious how you think about your role in the the film generally like if you see yourself as being kind of like a character in the film or whether you feel like you're kind of a co-writer of the film or how you feel like the music or if it varies on every production but how you
1: feel like that fits into a production i mean there's so there's so many reasons for the music to be around right like there's like i i i do so many things and one of the main functions of, of what I provide is that it's, it's sort of like trying to go after the thoughts and the feelings and the ideas that, that you can't really say out loud, I think. And and there's a lot of, of layers there that you can really add. And, and it really is kind of like the soul of the, of the production, I think, you know, not to mention that, you know, the, the tone and the you know, you can signify sort of like time and place and era and atmosphere and things like that. And I think but I think what I what I typically do is when I approach a scene, I, I feel like I live in the same emotional plane as as where the actors live. Like I don't want to reiterate anything that they're already doing. You know, if if their performance is is doing the thing, I don't really need to restate exactly what they've already said or emoted. So my job is to live in that plane with them and then do something that brings more to, to that nuance, kind of how I approach like anything like super dramatic. And then also like there, like comedy is a whole another thing. So I've done <laughs> I've done a bunch of comedy lately and it's like timing is everything. It's just like, yeah, you it's really good to work with with directors and producers that like also kind of get the like right timing as well. And like, and then we get in, in sync with each other and and it really works out. I just, I just did a show called Homeschooled. It's on CBC Gem. If you're if you're wanting to watch it, it's so funny. I love it. It's just it's just the best. Like when I was working on it with my assistant, we would be like texting each other um, the jokes that you would miss when you would we would rewatch it like multiple times because we'd be working on the scene. So, anyways, it, it's it's a whole different function of music in that situation.
0: I love how you articulated it, actually, because when you were talking about especially music in the dramatic moments, it made me think of, and I don't know why, but it made me think of Titanic and that moment that Rose and um, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jack, are at, you know, the front of the boat and Celine Dion yeah. just, like, comes up through. And it's, like, just, <laughs> it's, like, that perfect moment because, like, they there is nothing else that they can say, like, music has to take over. It's, like, taking yeah. it to the next level. Um, yeah. And I think so, how you described
1: it was exactly that. Yeah. Like uh, you can't always like, you can't spell out everything. You don't necessarily want your script to be uh, like just saying everything out loud. Like there's a lot that is unspoken. And, and if I can tap into that and, and take over when um, you don't want your characters to say anything, like if they're just, you know, in a contemplative mood or, you know, something's going on internally yeah, that's where, that's where music kind of takes over
0: in terms of collaborating with other people. Obviously what you do is, is extremely collaborative. You know, you write, it's, it's funny that you have to write by yourself and you live in your own space, but you actually, your, your vision is integral to the whole film. So can you maybe give some advice on what you've learned being like a mega collaborator, how you navigate the relationship with the directors and, and their vision and your vision? And
1: I think, I think it's just you, you have to figure out because music is really difficult to, to talk about in, in actual words. So I think you just have to be, you can't be nervous. You can't be like embarrassed. Like sometimes I talk in sound effects, like with my <laughs> voice, like, Oh, you know, like maybe the music should go like <laughs> or like, you know, like, I, like we make funny noises We we constantly are like, I can't believe this is my job right now. <laughs> like, you got to find a shorthand because, and you got to really be like, I'm the translator. I'm, I'm taking what you're saying and I'm truly integrally understanding what you mean and turning that into music. Like that's, that's the key. You have to really dig deep and, and figure out how to talk about things because not everybody has the same background or the same upbringing or the same first language even. And, and like, you've got to like, come up with a way to talk to each other. Basically it's it's all about communicating. And then the same thing goes for collaborating with other musicians. It's like, it's like, we're all in this together basically.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, and often do directors come to you with, anything or do they like do they say like this composer I want this vibe and so you have a sense or or is it even better if they come to you and say I have no idea just
1: well um if they don't know uh if they don't know it's it's quite difficult um (laughs) but I I'm not saying that if that you know if they can't come to me or are another composer and just be like let's brainstorm from the get go, like, that's not what I'm saying, but like, you really have to understand what it is you're making in the first place, like to know which direction to send your composer off into. Um, Because the, the worst case scenario is like, if someone doesn't really understand what their film is going to be, or they want it to be yet, then the composer might have to like, you know, end up go, like backtracking and like redoing things many times. And, and it's, it's better to, to have a clear direction. Um, and um, what, what I tend to do with people is I'll be like, okay, let's, let's make a playlist. Like you make a playlist. I'll make a playlist. Let's listen to each other's playlists. And then we can talk about the playlists, and then you can get a good sense of like, If someone's like, oh, I love the nostalgia in this piece of music. And you're like, okay, when I listen to that piece of music, I don't personally feel nostalgic, but I get why you feel nostalgic. And then like sort of figure out, okay, now I know what nostalgic is to them. And then in the future, you can figure it out. Like (laughs) there's this situation that I am currently in actually this minute where a director is like, he wants um, a cue for this character in this show where uh, they're given this like unexpected grace. And I'll, I'm not going to lie, I have absolutely no idea what he means by that. <laughs> so I'm in this little conundrum of like trying to figure it out. And so I'm just going to you know, hash through some ideas and I might hit a brick wall a couple of times, but, you know, that's the nature of communicating sometimes is you just have to do trial and error. But if you can figure out a really good shorthand and understanding, like when they say this, they mean this musically, like that it's really, it really helps, I think.
0: Oh, definitely. So when you're, you're actually start your day what percentage of it is you writing music versus like maybe orchestrating it versus administratively, you know, writing the cue sheet, putting things together? Like, what does your day look like?
1: Um, so I'm not lucky enough to have like a, a big orchestration team or anything <laughs> like that. I think really what what the term orchestrate orchestrator, like the job orchestrator, uh, is really now um, in in film and TV is that it's it's somebody that takes your MIDI and turns it into sheet music so we're not doing too much orchestral recording at, at the moment but um, you never know Some, sometimes <laughs> soon I could get a you know a large gig where we go and record a lot of people but um, when I compose I'm orchestrating the music simultaneously so it's it's like a it's like a joint work in progress for me because um, I don't really go and sit at at a piano separate from my computer anymore. I find it's just faster to just access the instruments that I'm hearing in my mind instead of like writing all the music first and then going to the computer and putting it into the violins and oh and maybe this goes in the flute and but so I'm on I'm writing at the computer almost a 100% of the time now. Yeah and it's just it's just flowing like uh, all at once. And, you know, cue sheet wise, like there's two kinds of cue sheets. There's like the the cue sheet at the end, which is the soak in cue sheet. And then there's the like spotting cue sheet, which is just like my task list. And so that really just has to happen at the start when you like really get the locked cut and you like get the final time codes and everything like that. And you can like put it in a good spreadsheet. Over the years, I've developed like a really rigid system because once you start getting getting assistance and things like you, you really have to name your files properly and like have the cue sheet really detailed or else like it's just a really big mess. So, but um, at the start of the project, you do really want to like have a really good meeting with the producers or the directors or whoever's like doing the music approvals and like really get a good sense of what they want and make sure that gets written written down somewhere so that you have Mm. this great blueprint for yourself um so you can go faster I think so then
0: is does your day look like Jack Black's day when he was orchestra or when he was composing at the very beginning of the holiday when he's like watching (laughs) what what does his day look like remind me (laughs) <laughs> I, the, all the all we know about from him from the holiday is that he's watching a movie, sitting at his piano, and the music goes on to the computer.
1: Yeah, yep, pretty much. Yeah, there we go. I would say, yeah, like I mean, <laughs> he like he, he, what what that movie gives the impression of is that he just like wrote it on the spot and it's yes. beautiful and perfect. It really, doesn't happen <laughs> like that for everybody. Certainly not me. Like there's lots of layers so you're really watching the same scene like you know 40 times in a row so (laughs) you're like it's
0: exactly like that except for a hundred times less glamorous
1: oh yes (laughs) a hundred times less glamorous and very tedious so you know what he he's a good character that's like that movie he's he's a good film composer uh, there's a couple other film composers on screen that are also good. Like the guy in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. He's a, uh, he's, he's a good character too. Do you, you know that, that one?
0: I don't. Okay. <laughs> That's funny, but I'm sure lots of other people will. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to ask you about your proudest moments so far in your career.
1: Oh, Oh my God. Um, pro- probably like the, the, the getting to do the Toronto Symphony Orchestra live concert film for the kids. Um, okay, wait, so what was it? Okay, so it's called, so it was so cool. It was this this, this collaboration where um, there's a pitch competition where people went and pitched to the TSO and TIFF and they're like, we want to make this short film for the TSO and then I was the composer who was chosen to score this film. What ended up happening is, so they animated this film called Damn the Story of Kit the Beaver. And it was a, a 12 minute short film animated. And then the Toronto Symphony Orchestra played it live in concert for like, you know, all these schools from the GTA and, and in their in their children's concert series. So I literally sat there and listened to the TSO play my score like 10 times. It was fantastic. It's like, it's the kind of thing that like this never happens. So <laughs> the fact that it happened to me, I'm like, I'm just, it was, it was awesome. It was so cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so. I feel like I have chills just thinking about it for you because there's something so special about, you know, going to the symphony and listening to them play and seeing the collective come together, but to, on top of that, have them be playing your music that you wrote. Yeah. That's so cool. So yeah, it was
1: that, awesome. It was, that was a great
0: moment to highlight for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And also other orchestras played it across Canada too. It was one of these like Canada birthday, like 150. Yeah. It yeah. It was one of these. Yeah. And and I think a lot of the stuff that I've done since then is, has kind of come out of come out of that. So it's just, you know, just career building and, Um, meeting people and hopefully people get to, to hear my music. I I do a lot of kids, kids stuff. So I think that's sort of related to this whole, it kind of started with that.
0: I have to ask you, and I know this is not a very like sexy question, but I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm an entertainment lawyer and um, I do a lot of music law and we also have a huge film and, and TV department. And so Naturally, I get a lot of composer agreements. I'm curious. I'm sure you've seen a lot of composer agreements. There's, you know, the, the, protecting your copyright and how the royalties work in the music industry is like a whole other episode. But oh yeah, do you yeah, it's like <laughs> so complicated. But do you have any advice for um, young composers or something that you've developed that you are is a must-have in all of your contracts? I didn't I ask think- the question well.
1: But well, yes. no, it's, it's, it's okay. It's, the, it's a huge question that you're asking, it's, but yeah, but I, I sort of would say, I guess the answer is do your research. Don't, you know, I, I would say there's a lot of, um, and there's a big imbalance of, of, of power that, that happens when, you know, you're at the end of post-production basically. And, and people sort of run out of money, because they are like, oh, crap, we have to fix this in VFX. And oh, we made a mistake over here. And we got to fix that. And, you know, by the end, you know, they kind of run out of money. And a lot of times people come to me, and they say, this is our budget, take it or leave it. And, and it's not really fair to a composer, to be honest, for that to be the case. So I I just think, like, just don't be afraid. definitely consult a lawyer on on your rights know what the standard is for what it is that you're working on over at the screen composers guild we do have like a rates document that you can get access to if you become a member so you can educate yourself a little more and like just understand that like uh if someone's trying to force you into a buyout like you don't have to take it and, and understand what it actually means when, if you are doing a buyout, because there is a system in place of, of royalties that is there for a reason. Because when we have such a big stake in making a, a show successful, like if a show is successful, you, you should get it like, you know, your tiny little, like t- tiny sliver Of a percentage of of the success of that. So you don't sell yourself short and ask, ask around and, and just do your research. I think that's that would be my advice.
0: That was a perfect answer to a very difficult question. And I think it's just the reason I wanted to bring it up because there are so many nuances to being a composer that you have certain entitlements that you don't, you know, have as a costume designer or have, you know, as a Cam, camera mm-hmm. g- or grip or anything like that. And so I think, uh, yeah, you gave such good advice and it is just so important to, to, you know, seek out the tools to help yourself and not sell yourself yeah. short because there's lots of special bonuses.
1: The, <laughs> the for- biggest, the biggest thing is understanding the like those other departments, they're not generating copyright. And, and I think that when people come into this business, I don't think they realize the value of like, you're making something, it it doesn't belong always to the film. Like it exists as its own entity outside of that movie. So there's there's so many moving parts here that, you, you know, you have to think about it as part of the film, but also as not part of the film. And, and so you're totally right. Not every department in a film generates copyright like the music department does. So we're, we're a, a, a small club. So you have to, (laughs) I would say, just don't sign any random deal memo that comes across your email, because a lot of times deal memos that are intended for like, you know, lighting or, or props or something, it just has a blanket thing that says everything you do is owned by the film. And that doesn't translate into the music side. So just be careful. That's my advice.
0: A hundred percent. You guys are very special and deserve to be treated as such. Mm. So that's great. (laughs) If you took nothing away from that, this whole episode, that was the most important thing to take away. So that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my last question for you uh, is a piece of Canadian content that you want to recommend to everyone.
1: Okay. I mean, I guess I'll say homeschooled because um, I just love that show. Oh my goodness. It's so funny. It's like, it's like the creators were like, let's make a Wes Anderson film, but like how we were when we were teenagers, <laughs> like teenage girls in like the, the movie Rushmore or something like that. And it's just, it's awesome. It has so many hidden jokes. I know I already said that, but I just want to say it again. And, and the comedy is, is on point. It's really good. You can see it on CBC Gem it's it's available now
0: that's amazing well thank you so much for coming on and I hope that people listening even if they're not composers learned how to communicate better with composers and to appreciate the work that you do so I really appreciated your insight
1: thank you so much for having me on your podcast and uh, good luck with everything and I hope you keep you keep going with this podcast (laughs) it's great (laughs)
0: you love the show don't forget to rate and review it really really helps support the podcast we'll see you next
1: wednesday